Today, we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been doing a study this, this uh, spring in 1 Corinthians. The subtitle of the letter I've, I've put is Getting Right and Getting Going. Getting right and getting going. There's a lot of things to correct in this church. There's a lot of questions to answer. What's the right thing and how do we do it? And then how do we get into ministry? Let's get going serving the Lord. So that's our subtitle. So to get us thinking today about our passage, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The story came to mind that I hadn't heard for a long time, but uh, it was one of my seminary professors told this story. And so I, some of the details are fuzzy, but the main point of the story I remembered. His name was Vern, I still can't remember if it was Middleton or Middlebrook. Maybe Nate remembers. We had, was it, we'll figure Middleton, okay, good. We had some classes together, Nate and I, and it was fun. And um, so he was, had been a missionary at some point earlier in his career, a missionary, I believe, in India, in a rural area. And so he said, he said he was in India, and he observed their farming techniques. And he said they were farming there with a donkey and a little pull-behind plow. And this one in the picture, I think, is even more aggressive than what he described. He said it was this donkey and this little wooden thing. And he did this thing where he said it just was barely scratching the dirt. So he observed this in, in this area he was ministering. And I think the story went as some Americans came down to check on the work, see what he was doing. And they observed this, and they're like, oh, no way. I mean, look at that puny little donkey and that little stick. Uh, we need to get some, some horsepower down here, right? We need to, if you're from my era, we need some Binford 4800 tractors. We need to rip some dirt up. So they organized some kind of fundraiser back in the States, I don't know what, and they brought some tractors down there. And so then they're like, they're just, they're just ripping it up and planning. I think that the donkey was like cheering from the pen, like, woohoo, I don't have to drag the stick anymore. And so they do this whole ordeal and they plant the crops and it failed. The crops failed. And so they, they discovered, and I know nothing about farming, so there's probably details I'm not understanding. But what in this particular region they discovered is all the soil nutrients was just in the very top layer. And so when they got in there with the tractors, they actually dug and planted below it, and the crops did poorly. And they figured out that the little donkey scratching the little surface was actually the most efficient, productive way to farm that area. You know, and so this whole thing of more power and, oh, oh, it was a failure because that actually all the power was already there. That little layer of soil, that little donkey created all the crops they needed. And that's often a very uh, American problem we have. We're like, okay, we've got this whole story of Jesus, but how do we make it more awesome? Right? How do we, we here's this, the story of the pastor that rolled in in the tank to start his service. Or how can we install a zip line to enter? Because we got to beef this thing up. And the whole point today is no, 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 no. We don't need to beef it up. We don't need more power. We don't need tractors. We don't need a diesel engine. As cool as all those things are, the power is actually in the gospel. The message of the cross is actually the power. And if we add to it and try to add heavy machinery, we actually ruin it. So here's our point today, that the power of God flows through the cross. The power of God flows through the cross, not through any other human creation, device, not anything making it better, 
The power of God flows through the cross. So let's take a look at the passage that we're going to consider today. 1 Corinthians, we're going to do chapter 1, verses 17 to 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 to 31. Love for you to follow along, look along. There are Bibles there in front of you if you want to take a look. Maybe you brought your own. If you bring your own, it's okay to write in it. There's always this like, can I write in there? Yeah, it's yours. You can write in there. Make notes. <clears throat> and then, uh, or some people really prefer a digital Bible. Great. Pull it out. But uh, the more we look with our own eyes, the better it is. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 1.17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross, be, the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. So there's our passage today. Jump back to verse 17. And um, we saw this last week. Paul's writing to them because there's a conflict in the church. There's, a, there's people dividing up behind leaders. Right? He said, one says, I follow Paul, I follow a guy named Apollos, I follow Peter. And what it seems to be, we see in verse 17 here, this idea of, they were, they were, he said, I'm not sent to preach with eloquent wisdom. And what was going on is that some of them preached using some of the methods of the day that had a poetic style, this rhetoric style. It had an entertainment to it. And so people are like, well, I like that guy. He's way more interesting, way more entertaining, way more enjoyable. I don't like just boring old Paul. I like this Apollos guy. He's got, he's got polish. He's got flair. And so there was this, and Paul saying, you know, we're not going to do that because I was, not, I was sent here to preach, but not using these methods, not words of eloquent wisdom, not fancy styles, because he said, 
that actually blocks the power of the cross. That the cross itself has power, and when we add to it and we put fancy stuff on top of it, we actually block or eliminate that power. It's just that same idea that there's power in the soil, and that little donkey and seeds can grow all the crops they need. If you come over the top of it, you'll ruin it. There's power in the cross of Jesus, and if we come over the top of it with techniques and skills, we actually remove the cross or the power of the cross. Let me read a quote from one of the commentators that really explained what was going on in that church and see how it kind of fits in today. His name was Morris is his last name. He said, some, at least of the Corinthians, were setting too high a value on human wisdom and human eloquence in line with the typical Greek admiration for rhetoric and philosophical studies, okay? So this is a cultural value, and some are like, yeah, that's what we got to have in this church. In the face of this, Paul insists that preaching with words of human wisdom, cleverness in speaking, was no part of his commission. That kind of preaching would draw people to the preacher. It would nullify the cross of Christ. The faithful preaching of the cross leads people to put their trust not in any human device, but in what God has done in Christ. A reliance on rhetoric would cause trust in men, the very opposite of what the preaching of the cross is meant to effect. So he's saying that we want this style, we want this flair, and that undoes it. Now, I don't think they had any idea <laughs> in Paul's day that there'd even be a such thing as the celebrity pastor. In our culture, we have the celebrity pastor. I next month sign my TV deal. It's going to be amazing. I'm just totally kidding. Totally kidding. But that's a thing in our culture that's about the celebrity pastor and how out there can we make it and what can we blow up to attract attention. And, uh, and what it does is it certainly attracts attention. It certainly entertains people. It doesn't lead people to Christ. There's a pastor I went to a conference with him once. His name's Hugh Halter, and he said a phrase I've never forgot. He said, what you draw people with is what you draw people to. So if we draw people to a gathering with fireworks, free iPads, everything's going to be entertaining and awesome, then that's what they're coming to. I go to this church where there's free iPads and everything's entertaining and awesome. But if we draw people with the message of Jesus, the gospel, the cross, then that's what's number one. And, and then it's not about what we can do. How can we entertain? How can we do this fun stuff? It's how do we point people to Jesus where the real power is? Now, that doesn't mean you're never creative. It doesn't mean we don't think through, like, what makes sense to our culture and what doesn't. But what we don't want to do is overshadow Christ with celebrity pastor with entertainment with crazy tricks because we could light something on fire and wouldn't that be cool if the phrase wouldn't that be cool is the key part of our planning we've emptied the cross of its power that's that's the idea so i want us to look again here and the next section of this verses 17 down to about 25 there's lots of word plays comparing and contrasting there's word plays going back and forth through this. So I want to show you some of them. So this first one, you, we, we've looked at this one, the idea of words of eloquent wisdom. It's literally wise words or sophisticated words. 
We, we have that compared in verse 17 with verse 18, words of the cross. So those are the two. There's the wisdom words. There's the entertainment power versus the words of the cross or the message of the cross of Christ. Those two things. And here in verse 18, it says the message of the cross, the word of the cross, it's folly to those who are perishing. It sounds dumb. It sounds like nothing happens. I remember we had a man come into my office once. And he was in a, just a horrible lifestyle. I don't want to say with words what was all happening, but it was terrible. And I think he felt terrible. And he said, okay, I want you to save me. So what did I do? I told him the story of Jesus. Well, Jesus is the son of God, and he's come down from heaven, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on a cross, and he rose again. And when you put your faith in him, you're made new. And he was like, that, that's it? He said, I, I thought you were going to do something. I said, well, I I did do something. I just told you the message of the cross. And he's like, but I thought you did something. I was like, oh, well, let me pull out my bag of incantations. No, I didn't say that. But there was just this like, well, I thought you did something for me. I thought you saved me. Like, I can't save you. And he's, this message of the cross is like, that's that's just a story. What are you talking about? It just didn't make any sense. The word folly is the word for absurd. That's absurd. Some guy died and rose and that does something for you? That's absurd to those perishing, but to those being saved, it's the power of God. Yeah, that's where he took away sin and death. That's where he defeated the power of the enemy, and I don't have to face up for my sins. That's where all my sin was taken away. That's where all my shame was taken away. That's where the life after death is seen. That's the best place ever. So those being saved, that's the power of God right there. And to others, like, this is an absurd, silly story. Now watch the word plays. Keep going. Verse 19. For it is written, this is a quote from Isaiah 29, it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Meaning God's saying, I'm going to do it my own way. Humans aren't going to figure out my plan. The wisest plan in the world, this is how we solve it and this is how we take care of humanity. It, It will not equal the righteousness of God. Verse 20 So where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You see the word play? He's saying some people look at the cross and go, that's absurd. And God's saying, I look at the ideas of the world and say, that's absurd. Right? Do you see the word play? saying, you're saying I'm absurd. It's this back and forth. The wisdom of the world in that time is probably different than our wisdom of the world. Our wisdom of the world is that salvation is in you. That's our culture. That the absolute freedom of the individual is the highest good. And so anything an individual thinks, feels, or wants is holy to them. And you should never say no. You should never say it's bad for you. The wisdom of our world says salvation is in you and your decisions. And, God, and, and we look and say, then why is our world full of suffering and death? and depression, and war, and violence, and suicide, because the wisdom of the world has not healed these things. And God's saying, I'm bringing that to nothing, because I have true salvation, healing, peace. So you see it going back and forth. It says, since in the wisdom of God, so we're back to God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. They didn't figure it out. They didn't come up with a plan and go, aha, if I do this, then I know God. Doesn't know him. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You catch that? He's saying, here's what, you preach an absurd message, 
Jesus died and rose again, and that saves people. There's nothing fancy about that. There's nothing that you do to dress that up. You tell the gospel story, and it's believed through the power of the Holy Spirit, or it's seen as absurd. And Paul's saying, we just keep telling the same story, not in a fancy way, not in a creative way, not in a, we've got to really dress it up with some fireworks and zip lines. No, just as the same absurd, silly story that the Son of God died for sins and rose again. So now it starts to get specific. He says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. So in the culture of this day, the gospel story caused problems in a couple ways. He said the Jews were always looking for a sign. They were always looking for something of the miraculous. There's a scene where Jesus has just fed 5,000 people from a kid's lunch. Right? He took these few loaves and broke them. 5,000 men, it says, ate. So you can guess how many women and kids were cruising around. And they say, we want you to do a miracle for us. You're like, where'd you think that sandwich just came from? Right? Where'd you think that bread and fish just came from? Right? Well, we need a miracle. We need to prove it, prove it, prove it. Show me a miracle. And he did them all the time, and they didn't see him. So they're looking for signs. Greeks are looking for wisdom. It's got to be this super depth, creative thing beyond my mind. And Paul says, all we do is talk about Jesus Christ crucified. The Son of God died for you. He said that creates a stumbling block to Jews, and it's absurd to the Gentiles. Let me read another quote that I think really helps us with this concept of it's a stumbling block, it's absurd. It says, for us, crucifixion is quite remote. It has not been practiced since its prohibition by the Emperor Constantine in the 4th century. Furthermore, Christ crucified has become for us either a preacher's slogan, a theological topic, or a religious ornament, right? You can wear a cross or a crucifix. But in Paul's world, it was the most horrific method of execution known, reserved as a deterrent to keep slaves and provincials in their place, right? The people have seen them. The people that he wrote this to have seen crucified people. The Romans would line roads with people they've crucified. They'd line roads with conquered other people. They've seen them. And they were used, the Romans used them to uh, keep slaves in line and provincials, meaning other peoples they had conquered. According to Cicero, it was so unspeakably ugly as to be off limits in polite conversation. The very word cross, he wrote, should be far removed not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. That is so heinous, so ugly. True, Roman citizens don't even let it enter conversation. They should never even have to see one. It's that horrid. So Paul says it's a stumbling block to the Jews because the Messiah was supposed to be a conquering hero. And you read all kinds of prophetic writings in the Old Testament about the coming son of David. He will restore, he will reign, all true. But what was missed is the suffering servant prophecies. You can read those. There's four of them in Isaiah. Isaiah 53 being the most explicit that he came and was like a lamb led to the slaughter, that he suffered for us. And so 
Jews would look at this and go, this doesn't make sense. The Messiah reigns forever. Like, yes, he does, but first he suffers. So that, that the death of the Messiah was a stomachbuck. And to the Greeks, they said, this is so absurd that your God would die in this cross that not even a Roman citizen would touch. It's, it's insanity. We, what, how is that your God? But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, right? We're saying that it could not have happened any other way. Can you do anything about death? No. You're going to die and you're going to be dead unless you're in Christ and he raises you from the dead. Can you do anything about your sin? No. Unless it's paid for, you have to pay it. Can you do anything about guilt and shame? No. The power of God can do it. The wisdom of God can solve it. Can we do anything about the separation? Can we do anything about the deterioration of this world? No. But God's making a whole new one where there is no more mourning or death or crying or pain. The old things will be gone. We can't do anything about any of this, but it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God, right, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You would never say God's foolish, but even the lowest thought God might have is, in, is superior to anything we might ever think or do. So it's this constant contrasting. But I want to see what is, why is it the power of God and the wisdom of God? What does it do? He shows us in verse 30. If you look down there in verse 30, this is what the cross, this is what the words of the cross does. This is what the power of the cross does in verse 30. It says, and because of him, because of Jesus, you are in Christ, or because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom. Jesus is the best plan that ever could have happened, right? He, he is our wisdom and righteousness. So Jesus is our righteousness. So I'm just going to do some rapid fire verses on this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of our unrighteousness passed to Jesus. His righteousness passes to us. So the power of God to make you righteous is in Jesus. He, he switched with you. He said he's our sanctification. You see that in verse 30. A little bit later in this letter, we'll get there. I'll show you now, though. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's a pretty major problem. Because look at this list. It's going to hit us all somewhere. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We're all on that list somewhere. Some of, uh, some of us got a lot of checks on that list. Like, Ew, this is bad news. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. means you were made holy. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's the power of God, right? That's why he says Jesus became to us righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. We're born into the curse of the human race. We're born into the curse laid on Adam and Eve. And there's nothing we can do about it. We can't get rid of death. We can't get rid of the fear of death. We can't get rid of the broken world. We can't solve it. But Jesus, redemption means to be set free upon a payment of a price. So he's the ransom. He became the curse so that we could be blessed, healed, accepted, uncursed. So that's why all this points, verse 31, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not in, I heard a cool sermon. Not in, I went to a really cool church that has fireworks. I heard the message of Jesus. I respond to the message of Jesus, and I've been changed. It's all in what God does, not what people do. So that's why we say the power of God flows through the cross. So this has got an initial, your introduction to the Lord comes from the cross. You first are walking to Jesus and you realize that you are condemned, you're unrighteous, you're under a curse. You say, I want you to forgive me. The power of the cross does that. You can come to the cross, be forgiven and redeemed and sanctified. But I think sometimes we forget it, it for believers, you still come to the power of the cross. Sometimes we forget that and we think, well, I believed in Jesus back there. And we forget that we constantly need the power of the cross. Because if, if you're like me, I hear voices. And I don't need medication for that. I hear voices saying, you're not good enough. You're never going to get it all done. See, you failed. You didn't get that thing done. You didn't take care of that past that. You didn't do this. This voice says you're a failure, and that's the voice of the enemy. And I need to come to the voice of the cross and say, you're only working for one person. You serve me, and I already love you. All right, we need that. I don't know what voices you hear. Failure. Sometimes the voice throws old sin back in your face. See, you did that. You can never be forgiven. That's a lie. The power of the cross, Jesus suffered was cursed, was ashamed, was nailed to this horrific death instrument so that you don't bear that shame. So you keep coming to the power of the cross every day, every moment. You keep coming back and saying, this is what I'm hearing, this is what I'm feeling. And the cross says, those are lies. The truth is you're loved, chosen, cleansed, redeemed, sanctified. Your name's in the book of life. That's the power of the cross. Yeah. I like this. I like this. Let's keep it going. So we constantly do it. And our world needs it. Right? There, there is complex problems right now. Complex conflicts. The, the mindset of our culture, it seems like, how are we ever going to break in? It's, it's the simple, continual loving and telling the story of Jesus. Because I think that our culture is just going to keep hurting itself. The more people look within for salvation, the more they'll find death and despair. And the message of the cross sounds really good when you're despairing. When you think, I got it all figured out and I don't need anything, well, then it sounds like foolishness. But I think the more our culture distances itself from God, the more it's going to get into trouble and pain and uh, slavery and the more the power of the cross is going to heal. So that means we got to watch it get real ugly. But it also means we got to watch Jesus' power work. So, those, that, so that's the hope for our culture. So what we're going to do 
we're going to have a, an example of a ministry that's right on the front edge of this. We, we showed a few of these a couple months ago, ministry partners that we connect with. And we saved this one because it just fit in perfectly for Mother's Day. It's the, it's the ministry of the Whatcom County Pregnancy Clinic. So we support them. So we have a, a video of Kelly interviewing their director. And the reason it fit in not just thematically with Mother's Day, this is a ministry that operates simply in the power of the cross. They take the power of the cross to young women facing a pregnancy and they're freaked out. They take the power of the cross to young men who are facing fatherhood and they're freaked out. They take the power of the cross to people who have an abortion in their past and they say they can even heal that. They take the power of the cross to schools and talk about healthy relationships. And I think of all the, you know, many of the organizations in town, they are on like the very front edge of the assault of the enemy. I think. So they're facing a constant pressure politically. They're always trying to be shut down. They're, they're being maligned. Many times they've been maligned in uh, newspaper articles. Uh, there are being attempts politically to shut them down through legal actions. And there's just this cultural pressure. I feel like they're just on the edge of the enemy's gates. And they just minister through the power of the cross. So let's take a look at this video. And uh, then I'll come back and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Hello, I'm Kelly Schmidt. I'm communications director here at Northwest Baptist Church. And I'm here with Sherry Turner from the Whatcom County Pregnancy Clinic. And she has come today to tell us a little bit more about her ministry and what she does and how we can be a part of that. My name is Sherry Turner. I'm the executive director of the Whatcom County Pregnancy Clinic. Hi, everyone. anything 
So regardless of what our sin may be different, you don't you don't deserve to live a life that that is full of guilt and shame and regret. And so come, I challenge you, step out of that of that moment where you're living in and and believe that God is who he says he is. Because there is healing, there is restitution, there is new beginnings, and we have the we have amazing leaders, a woman leader who has experienced abortion in her past, and then we have a male leader who is just will walk alongside you. I know people personally who have taken his classes, and it's it's been life changing. That's kind of what we, the ministry in a nutshell. We receive zero government funding. All of our services are free, so we are one hundred percent donation driven. We just had a shower here recently. You guys had a baby shower for us. And I was just telling Kelly before the camera rolled just how awesome it is to see the girls go into our little baby shop with gifts that you have given. And they just are, are in awe that someone they will never meet would go out and buy them something or make them something or have a maternity clothing that they can wear. And they just... Some of these girls are so overwhelmed. It's, it's such a blessing. I wish that you could see what we get to see at the clinic. Yes, they have had a chance to visit your clinic and, and seeing that cute little shop that looks just like a boutique with all the adorable <laughs> little things in it. It's, it's wonderful. I can hear so much grace in what in what you all do. That's, that's amazing. If we would like to be more a part of what you do, how can we pray for you? How can we get involved? How can we support you? That is such a good question. Me, as the director, my, my first, the best way you can help us is through prayer. It is a battle, a spiritual battle every day. The enemy does not want us to be in Whatcom County. He does not want our doors to be open. We were open every day for COVID, by the way. God kept our doors open. And the enemy hates that. And so for me, if you could pray for us, put us on your on your refrigerator at home. Don't forget to pray for Walking County Pregnancy Clinic or whatever. That's the biggest thing. My community development director would say financially, <laughs> we, could, we need the help. Like I said, we don't receive any government funding, and we are 100% donation-driven. Uh, another way is you can volunteer. We actually just started a volunteer class, so the next one, we're hoping to do another one in the fall. That is a six-week commitment of training. It's like 30 some hours. And uh, I love new volunteer training. I, I love it, but it, it it's charged, it's it's emotional, it's it's um, teaching our just everyday Christians. You know, we all think that we don't have anything to offer, but every single one of us are everyday Christians and God says, Hey, I want you to be here in this ministry. And so we, we train, we train you, uh, and you still get thrown into the fire because that's just the way God works. It, it's just amazing. But he will never give you anything that, that, that you and him can't handle together. I remember when I first started getting thrown into pregnancy testing. He never once gave me an abortion vulnerable or an abortion-minded client until I was ready for it. So he really does. He really walks alongside of us as the volunteers of, of being there. We 
We need data entry people who are detail-oriented. We eventually want to go paperless, so we're working toward that. We need uh, people who maybe don't want to work with a, a client, but they love data entry. We would love to have you come and hang out at the class or at the clinic, and you don't have to do the six-week training. So there's many ways that, that you can, uh, baby showers, you can continue doing baby showers here. Having me come or uh, Brenda spoke at the baby shower. She's the nurse manager. There's just, we always need help because we're partners, right? We, we partner with the church. We're the parachurch. We're, we're the ones out down on State Street, right downtown, Bellingham. And we can direct them here. We can direct them to other churches. We can have you, you know, you just, you come alongside of us is you hugging them and coming alongside of them. It's beautiful. Just makes me cry every time I think of it. <laughs> so are there any events coming up that we can help with? Is there any specific way that we should get a hold of you through your website? Or if I have a heart to volunteer, how do I get a hold of you? Yeah, so you can always call the clinic. You can just Google us, Walker County Pregnancy Clinic. Uh, you can call... We have an event in, we do two events, that's such a good question. We do two events a year. One is, we're looking at the first weekend of June. We don't know how it's gonna look. Last year we did it virtually. That's called the Walk for Life. And that's very family friendly, usually. It's very family friendly. In the fall we do a banquet. Last year we did what we call a religious ceremony. And um, so we don't know what it's gonna look like this year, but that's what they are. We also do a baby bottle campaign. I just oh. thought of, we do that every year for churches. We we give baby bottles and then the church will distribute that out to their congregation and and then they just fill it with loose chains or, you know, checks. Some people give checks or whatever and the, the church usually has a time frame that they offer that for and then they, they either bring us back all the bottles or they go through and, and empty out the bottles and come but a lot of churches like that. That sounds fun. Yeah, it, and it's simple. But um, yeah, so the Walk for Life and the Banquet, the Walk for Life we think is going to be in June. And the Banquet is, is in the end of October. Fabulous. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here with us. I so encourage every time I hear about what you're doing and all of the girls that you're helping. Can I pray for you as we close? I would love that. Thank you. Yes. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing Sherry here share with us today. Lord, please go before her and fill the needs of the Walker County Pregnancy Clinic, whether it be financial or volunteers or data entry. Lord, look in the hearts of those who are here in this ministry, and if there's someone out there who can volunteer, just, just put them put them together, Lord, and, and we just praise you for the grace that you give these girls that come in, the ability to help them. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for pa passing that love on to these lovely young ladies. We've got those bottles right here. There's a bassinet up here. If you want to pick one up today, we'll bring them back in the fall and uh, load it up with loose change, loose hundreds, whatever you got laying around, and uh, let's bless this, this ministry. We want to wrap up and know that you have a moment here to just take anything to the cross.
Take anything to the cross. Whatever voices you've been hearing this week, whatever uh, things you're carrying, take it to the cross. We're going to sing this song called Bring It to the Table. And the idea is like, bring it to the table. You're seated with the Lord Jesus. And instead of something being hidden, you're putting it on the table and asking him to deal with it, to work with it. So the Pastor Mark team is going to lead us in that. Let's just capture this moment to bring it to Jesus.